Good morning. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hi. Hey. Hello. <laughs> you kind of threw me off there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a flying start. Um, let me introduce everybody. Uh, we've got um, Dave joining us from New South Wales, down under. Good morning, Dave. Yeah. What good, time is uh, it? Good evening. What time? <laughs> what time is it in your uh, your end? Uh, oh, we just hit seven a.m. Oh dear! Oh, uh, sorry about that, man. <laughs> did you stay up, up, or did you just, just did you just wake up, or did you stay up? Uh, I got up at five. Um, yeah, I got kids and stuff to get off to school. So thanks to my missus Sarah Last <laughs> for helping out with the uh, me getting here at seven instead of eight. Which means um, I can we can start like, a bit earlier. Which is good. Great, great, great. Well, good thanks for inviting me. me as well. Yeah, good to have you on. It's been a while, man. It's been yeah, ages. It it's been ages. <laughs> <laughs> that was in the nineties. What year was it? I can't remember that you got that Sinton vocoder from me. Yeah, I, I was um, uh, I was just discussing that with uh, Vincent before, and um, I think that was ninety six. Yeah, something Ish. like that. Yeah. Did I have a Rode NC4? Oh, yes. Hello, old friend. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably it's a lot here. better condition with you than it would have been with me, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's in, a, in a very good place still, you know. It's, um, uh, occasionally, it's still being used. And, um, yeah, it's, it's been part of the collection ever since I got it from you, so... That was good. Cool, thanks. Yeah. I found a tape of stuff I made on that the other day, actually. Probably oh, about cool. 94, 95, I think. 95. Yeah, is <laughs> it nice. something that you, you ever used in uh, any releases, or is it just um, in your private archive? Just in the archive, I think. Maybe a few bits here and there on, on some tracks, old ones. Okay, cool. Well, we'll get back to the, the vocoder. Let's first say hi yeah. to um, Tune. Yeah. Tuning in from tuning in from the north, Copenhagen, baby. Copenhagen, <laughs> yeah, boy. <laughs> All right. <laughs> How are you? I am very good. Excellent. Uh, Excellent. Yeah. Copenhagen is nice this time of year, apart from the rain, you know. <laughs> Autumn in Copenhagen. Okay, cool. And uh, Vince, Vincent. Hi. Or drug culture joining us from Tilburg, the south, the south, south of Holland. Of Holland at, at the very least, yeah, the south of Holland. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hi. Nice to see you all. Yeah. Too, good man. to have you. Good to have you. Yeah. yeah so um, um, I see that um, Vince is sitting in in his kitchen. Is that where you make your music? Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> at, at the moment, it's, it's not that it really is. I, I have a, a studio uh, in the attic as well, but um, uh, I have a young daughter, so when she goes to bed, I can't do anything anymore. So uh, my producing hours are limited to the, her afternoon nap, and uh, mm -hmm. sometimes uh, when she's off to kindergarten. <laughs> so... Uh, well, I guess it, focus, it, it, it focuses you to to uh, to use your time wisely, right? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. let's 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 call it that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just I feel like uh, I'm just rushing all the time to get like if I have an hour, it's like uh, just like trying to get something started and finished and mixed and mastered everything mm -hmm. in one hour. So uh, sometimes I succeed and sometimes uh, not so much. It's all right. Well, but you are still. I mean, I see stuff appearing on your SoundCloud all the time. So you you still seem to have a quite a high level of productiveness going on yeah if i do if i i can't if i can't produce for a couple of days i got really cranky <laughs> and my wife said, said tells me to go upstairs and make yeah. music so <laughs> fair enough yeah okay but i mean yeah but you still you're still able to to crank them out so um so that's very good i've gotten um, really fast at producing so that's 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 just uh very so lucky you, at this point you you said you 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 write uh record mix and master everything yourself then yeah okay yeah. cool i used to uh do master for mastering for others as well but i don't do it anymore it's just too time consuming and um sometimes for friends i'll, I'll do something but for for for, for others mm -hmm. uh i won't because it's it takes up too much of my time and i only have so many hours i can work so mm. i rather focus on my own music do you feel do you feel that you're um uh, you can still retain a fresh perspective on what you are doing when you master your stuff. Or My own stuff. Yeah, because um, I, 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 I usually I, I've done it in the past, you know. But um, I would say ninety percent of the stuff that I've done is eventually mastered by somebody else. Somebody else who approaches it from more like a technical um, point of view. And you know, I feel when I'm mastering myself, I, I run into these into these things that. Um, you know, are kind of diff difficult to to make the trade-offs. You know, to make the sacrifices because sometimes you have to do radically do things, um, and you ha might have to get rid of something that you are really proud of or could really attach to. You know what I mean? And um, yeah, if you give it to somebody else, they'll just do the hard work for you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. you don't have to make that painful decision. That's what I mean. You know what I mean? Don't you get yeah, that? But not really. I don't. I don't really try. I try not to get too attached to uh, to music. Uh. To my new, to my own music, yeah. I get attached to other people's music, but my own music, I don't know. It's just I know what it's supposed to. My ears are the most valuable thing, and I, I know what I'm doing. I know what, what my speakers sound like, so it's fairly easy for me to get it like to get it like uh, to the to the point where it's you know sounds like normal, and then uh, then then <laughs> I send it off to into the world and farewell. Sometimes, if it's for vinyl, I'll, 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 I'll also, of course, keep the un unmastered waves of everything. But uh, sometimes, if it's for vinyl, I'll have somebody else do it or have the label do it. But normally, I'll just do it myself. It's much faster and cheaper. Yeah, yeah, it is faster and cheaper. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't mean it in a way that I get attached to my music. I mean, for me, is when I, when it's done, it's done. You know, it's like okay. This is the egg. Uh, it's now, you know, um, I laid the egg. It's fine, you know. Uh, it's, you know, I'm temporarily satisfied with whatever it's become. And then uh, it takes on its next life as something which is public domain uh, or, you know, not for me anymore, but, you know, people can have their their own sort of uh, experience with it and whatever. And I, I don't even look back to it, you know. I never play my own music. I never look back to my older stuff. I don't, I don't really care about it. But still if you are working on something and and with a certain intention it can happen that you have to kind of say goodbye to that if you're looking 
at the whole thing from a mastering mastering perspective you know like some bass yeah. frequency that sounds fucking amazing in your studio like you know it sort of really gets you going and then you have to kind of cut it off because it just won't stick to vinyl you know what i mean stuff like that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll let other people do the do that make that painful decision <laughs> so you, but you don't don't you uh, put anything on your master out when you're recording or producing rarely rarely no well, i always I put, a, put a limiter there and uh, some slight eqing just so i know what i'm what it will sound like if i'm if it's exactly. mastered you know yeah 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 that's that's i do that but it's not engaged it's, it's just something i flip on and off uh, once in a while just to see what uh, what remains of the sound when it's slightly more compressed or uh, eq'd a little bit you know just to see uh, in what direction you know so because some sound is behaves weird sometimes you know sometimes it uh, has a life of its own you know if you uh, have a, a certain dynamic in, in, a, in a piece of audio and you compress it, it might take on a completely different um, identity, you know, uh, in a way. So I do check that sometimes, but I, I don't produce with a master thing, a master channel on, engaged all the time. So it's just sometimes just to see how it behaves when it, you know, when it, it's treated. In, in in a way, I had I had this thing with uh, tune <coughs> sent me some tracks a couple some time ago, and I they are really uh, spares and minimal sounding, but they all have like huge synth sounds in the in the in the middle. <laughs> I don't know what 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 that is, uh, but uh, when I when I started mastering them, I, I I noticed that they they basically just took up the entire spectrum almost, and then you had like a kick underneath and so high at, uh, on top of it, and then the middle was all the synth thing, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so it started. I, and again, I, I get what you're saying. It started to behave something as something completely different than than it was unmastered. But I think you also put. Uh, I don't know. Tune. Do you put something on your master channel before you send them out? I always, I always make music. Well, if I'm making techno, I always make it into a compressor. Always. Yeah. Uh, because I feel that. It makes the track more exciting when you're making it. <laughs> so that leads you to make different decisions while you're in the process. And it can leave you, lead you to maybe, uh, instead of, let's say, adding a new element or something like that, you might be like, okay, well, I'll just develop this thing that's already sounding exciting instead of like adding a rim shot or cowbell or whatever. Uh, so anything that makes the process more exciting for me, I'm like pretty happy about that. So I'll, uh, so that's how I usually, usually do it. Uh, you can never go wrong I, with more cowbell though. It's this, like, <laughs> that's the rule. <laughs> <laughs> but would that, would that be on your actual master channel or are you mixing into a group and then into your master channel? Is it, so it's in, in a sense, it's, it's part of the sound design of the, yeah, it's part of the sound design. Yeah. I don't make music. Well, I rarely make techno on, on a computer. I usually use Noctitrack for everything uh, that's techno-y. So I always just have a compressor on the master track inside the Octitrack. And that's always just there, usually pretty much the exact same settings all the time. And that just makes it sound flat. So <laughs> that's what I do. Hey, if that works, use it, right? I think it works. <laughs> it definitely so you, does something. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So so that yeah yeah you gave away your secret uh, weapon in the first uh, 15 minutes of the <laughs> of the show. If you want to sound like Tune, just get an Octatrack and compress the fuck out of it. Yeah, yeah it pretty much. Fine. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> then again, I, I bought an Octatrack from from Tune, and uh, it didn't sound. I didn't get it to sound like Tune at all. So it, I, I couldn't get get anything decent out of it. So I, I sold it again. I'm sorry. That's okay. All your, that's okay. All your, all your stuff is still in it. I think. <laughs> really? <laughs> I think. I'm not sure. I didn't I know how like to leave. <laughs> because I never backed up. I've never backed that up. That's all my old tracks, and uh, <laughs> it's kind of like just said fuck it and let's just move on. And uh, I did kind of want them back for a while, but now it's okay because I made lots more. But it's fine. <laughs> but someone out there is enjoying it. I hope. I, I don't That's know good. if he's. I don't know if he's this, like sometimes somebody who really enjoys it because he, he sent me like two messages after I I sold it to him like. Uh, yeah, there's a little scratch here and there's a little scratch there. <laughs> and uh, so I was going like, okay, you know, whatever. I don't, I've never looked at, you know, I don't, don't look at gear like that. But uh, so yeah. I'm not sure if he really enjoys looking well, at the patterns. I'd actually I'd actually bought that Octatrack secondhand in the first place off this, right. uh, this Spanish uh, producer who had like a load of gear, like so much gear, like loads of Eurorack. Like it was like more than you could even buy or set up in any length of reasonable time. And when I got it from him, there was just five samples on it and all of them was just a voice shouting, cocaine! <laughs> <laughs> that was it! It was so strange. But you never used that in a, in a track. No, I didn't, no, no. <laughs> yeah, it's, it reminds me of the time when I bought my Revox uh, uh, tape machine. And it came with a box full of tapes, you know, uh, and I thought, you know, this person must have just, uh, you know, given me tapes, you know, to use uh, and, and wipe them before they, uh, you know, they gave it to me. But it was full of uh, stuff, you know, experimentations with um, guitars and, and noise and pedals and stuff. You know, it was basically the best tapes I could have found with uh, with a recorder, you know, instead of just some some you know people's record collection tape to <laughs> magnetic tape or anything. It was, yeah. it was an actual musician that owned it. Um, so I still have some of them. I've ran ran music over them um, for the stuff that I didn't think were interesting. But um, yeah, I, I did end up using some of it, <laughs> cool. which is great. Yeah, found sounds. It's a good present to get with a recorder. You like some preloaded content. <laughs> or sample discs. Or I th uh, Dave, do you have any? I see there's a bunch of samplers behind you. Or not? Uh, oh, I'm not sure that his sample is there. Um, as a Rob, a Roland? Yeah, yeah. JV 28. All right. Yeah, they're all um, uh, FM mainly, Wave Station, and an O1, stuff like that. There's some samplers around. Samplers are a bit. Um, oh, I just have a lot of trouble with samplers. I've got a couple of samplers. I've got an Emacs. Two still, and an emulator four, but I don't really, um, I don't really get on too well with set with hardware samplers that much. I've, I've used them a bit, but I prefer the the, the rompler stuff these days. I did so much sampling in the eighties and nineties, I kind of wore myself out. I think for a while, and <laughs> now I just want some e easier tools to arrive in hardware, which I think are on the way. You know. It's it's coming. 
you're oversampled. You oversampled everything, and then just so it yeah, lost its appeal. Yeah, it made a different sense. I've oversampled. I suppose I've, I've I've just done so much. You know, I used to make sample tapes and stuff with you know for myself that I can sample from. So I'd sit in the studio and make up like long tapes of like D10 sounds and things like that. And, after I just got it, I found all of those the other day. Actually, we've got tape that just here next to me at the moment, which is my main, my main tool is a Yamaha KX250 at the moment. <laughs> tape that <laughs> just go through old tapes before they all die. Good. Talking of which, um, I'm trying to locate like four track and eight track tape decks like Porter Studios because I long since got rid of mine talking of sampling so there's still a lot of tape multi-tape sampling stuff for that and like they're so expensive I can't believe Behringer or some other company doesn't <laughs> make uh, like a four or an eight track Porter Studio like really cheap because they're, sure. the old ones are so expensive now really? we've got a couple of the, the little test cam four tracks around here and, Send uh, me one over. Yeah. <laughs> well, we actually, I <laughs> actually use that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet you do. I bet you will. <laughs> uh, well, but uh, they they're mostly used as preamps here. You know, like uh, they they have this really strange uh, way, uh, like a soft way of distorting sound. You know. Um, yeah, they don't yeah. sound like a harsh uh, type of distortion if you if you the funny thing is you can drive the there's a gain on every channel and it basically uh, runs uh, stepless without steps uh, from mic to line input okay. so you can you so basically whatever you stick in you know you can uh, oh, sorry from uh, yeah from like line to mic so you can gain it like uh, in, a, in a in a crazy you can gain line signals in a, in a crazy way and it and it somehow retains uh, punch and character, but it's uh, it's mm. it's awfully dirty. You know, it's really really dirty. Sometimes I use yeah, the tape, but mostly I just dirty. use the yeah. <laughs> no, it's got yeah, a really they, it's got a really nice uh, saturated uh, sound. Yeah, I regret selling mine. Yeah, but you can still pick them up for cheap, man. I don't know where you're looking, but I think well, they, in Australia you can't. I no? think there's a limited <laughs> availability. I'm going to have to get one from Australia, from uh, Japan or somewhere. I right. reckon. I used to have like a six eight eight um, Tascam six eight eight port studio eight track, and mm -hmm. then before that I had a a Porter one that I got in eighty five. I kept it, it in the box when I got rid of it, although I did swap it for like a, a massive eight-unit modular synth in <laughs> 1988 or 89, <laughs> I think it was. This huge ETI modular that I sold it to some dude that ended up in the science museum or everything. <laughs> so, so is that what you do, Dave? You you basically get into something. If you want to get in something new, you buy stuff and you get you let some, some other stuff go that you've kind of exhausted or something. Is this is this always a real yeah? Sometimes, yeah. I'm happy to sell stuff, hmm. you know, as well as as well as buying new stuff. Like the Essence FM, for example, that looks really interesting. That if you've seen that, like a 300 voice um, FM multi timbral uh, like ultra FM synth with eight outputs, and uh, they've only made What's 150. That? Pardon? 
Which which one's that? It's called Essence FM. Okay. By a company called Codemo. So right. they're just putting up pre-orders for the Mark II at the moment. So um, you have to get in quick because they're going <laughs> to produce the next lot in February. They're amazing, absolutely incredible. Like, Do you have one? No, no, no. I've got one. I'm I'm pre-ordering a Mark II. They're really, they're like I say, three hundred note polyphonic, multi-timbral, <clears throat> eight eight outputs. I think they're balanced out essentially. That's crazy. What do you, what are you planning on doing with that? Um, uh, well, replacing a load of <laughs> a load of these, hopefully. Well, not replacing. Um, uh, uh, cutting down the amount of machines I have to operate to do, you know, multi really nice multi timbral microtonal FM based yeah. stuff because at the moment it, it takes it takes quite a lot of outboard. FM synths to do what I do, um, even though I've used FM soft synths as well. There's some great ones out there, and free stuff as well. It's really good. Um, uh, it's kind of because I've been doing it a long time, I've had to work with, with these machines, so I've kind of developed my techniques and presets and files and stuff over the years with these. But so how they're not going to last forever. So you've got to embrace the new stuff and also, you know, embrace the new manufacturers who aren't just the big manufacturers. Korg are having a go with that Op 6 that's just yeah. been out, which looks really interesting. I don't know if they're going to put micro-tuning on that, though. Mm. You'd hope so. You'd hope so, yeah. But whether they will or not... <laughs> well, didn't, didn't they do... Didn't the way they, do this? they kind of has it... Yeah, yeah. But they've not released any of the MIDI spec yet, which is a bit disappointing for the wave state. That's very promising. Mm. But the the software version of the wave station is very good. I don't know if anybody's tried that. That's that's really quite cheap. The legacy wave stations. They've just brought out version two of that. Version one was was sounded great, but the interface was just utterly terrible. I remember um, it was horrible. Yeah, I remember yeah, that as well. Yeah, but yeah. now you can resize the, the screen now. You can actually preset sizes of the screen for the um, uh, for the legacy wave station, so it'll make it... Um, you can actually see what's on the screen. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> and edit it, so it's actually usable now. I still, I, I, I have this uh, the original AD, you know, the wave station AD, the rec mount, yeah, the, the rec mount, that, yeah. yeah, and yeah. and uh, it is, it is a, uh, you know, I don't know, it's not the best interface ever, but uh, since that was my only poly for, um, you know, for a while when it came out, I bought, I bought it when it came out. I think that was ninety one, ninety two, or something like that. Um, uh, so since it was my only thing, you know, my only poly, I learned to how to program it quite well you know so and and the cool thing about that was that was the first um fx processor i had as well so i use it as a to root out audio into and and use the onboard effects on on drums and shit like that as well but it's uh, looking looking <laughs> looking back at it back at it you know it's uh if you you know it's not the most intuitive interface but if you spend time enough enough time behind the machine if it's your only thing to use, then I, I, I kind of, you know, it kind of forces you to 
you know, get a hold of or get get it under control. You're, you're, to... This one here, the Wave Station SR, yeah, has got the the worst interface of any Wave Station, practically any synth, really. It's yeah. just <laughs> that's terrible. a one u- one unit version of the AD, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, that's that's terrible. My AD, <laughs> I got for fifty dollars because it was it was kind of pretty bashed up. So I, I got it for. Fifty dollars, which is pretty good. Only like a couple of years ago, I got the AD, but um, it's in a pretty poor state. It's it's that's the O1RW. That's <clears throat> that's another one I got super cheap. It was just all falling to bits. Um, so if you can you can get them cheap still like that if, if they're falling to bits. But the yeah the AD interface is better than the mm. than the SR because you can't you really can't. Well, I had to program it from the front panel, but I wouldn't want to do it again <laughs> anymore. Can I yeah. can I ask you, since you're since you're so uh, such a fan of um, of FM stuff, how do you go about programming? Do you have um, do you use uh, random generators, or do you actually go in and, and and tweak everything by hand? Do you come up with how do you come up with um, well, How do you solve the programming big because FM is notoriously uh, annoying to program if you if you don't have the right uh, way of inputting your data. Right? <laughs> I've never found it that way to be honest, but um, you know I do a lot of science and maths as well, so I've kind of um, I've spent a few years reading the theory before I can even afford to, to get one. Um, and I got a, a TX eighty one Z, which was like the cheapest. Kind of one you could get at the time, really. That was that was any good. Had micro tuning and multiple waveforms on the oscillators and stuff. Just a little one U. I mean, it's it's a classic little yeah, bot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and that that was a good one to start on because it wasn't as complicated as the DX7. Even though I was reading all the DX7 kind of blurb and info and, and the books and stuff. And reading in the mags about how you program it, but I've done <clears throat> I've done all the FM theory in my telecoms courses anyway when I worked at telecom. So we'd we'd, we'd learnt all of the theory for for all the different types of frequency amplitude phase modulation, frequency shift keying, ring modulation. You know, all this stuff I'd done in the early eighties as part of my apprenticeship anyway. And it all comes from that technology there's nothing there's nothing different about the equations that are used in sound synthesis that were derived from uh, all all of that telecom series it's the same stuff basically just applied in a different way so it wasn't difficult from my point of view i could understand it was kind of radically different from what had come before because it was more analog before that you know dealing with most oscillators would have, would have like you know switchable footages more like on a on an organ or something like that. Whereas this was was dealing with ratios and frequencies, which unless you were you know done a lot a lot of also musical theory on on the ratios of notes within scales and things like that, was also probably not going to make a lot of sense straight away. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, what I'm saying really is, I mean, of course, it, it's it's um, it's possible to get into the theory behind it and and completely understand it, and mm. uh, it's not really that complex, you know. Uh, but anyway, mm. uh, the way of inputting data is is quite tedi- te- tedious. On yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> so, I mean, well, one of the favorite what things. What I did to overcome that 
with the TX81Z because that, that kind of arrived at the same time as I got. I, I had an Amiga and I had, I, I, what I worked out early on with computers was, was don't ever pledge allegiance to one manufacturer the same way you, you, you synthesize it, you know, any technology. Just don't pledge allegiance to anybody, just use whatever manufacturer is making whatever work out a way to connect it together you know before midi at least anyway um and then so i, I got a, in addition to my amiga i picked up a, a cube a, a cubase and an atari st so i was using the midi mixer maps in in cubase so i built a mix built my own mixer map in cubase to to have all the dials and stuff and all the sliders control all the sysx parameters in the tx81z so i didn't have to then worry about all the theory or anything i could just play around with it anyway like like you would want to do if it if if all those controls were on the panel in any case and then obviously i've moved further into algorithmically controlling those parameters so i stepped back from that and had them being controlled either randomly or or in some algorithmic or generative way perhaps you know. uh, there's actually a company and i believe they're a dutch company who built a full blown um fm controller for the dx7 have you ever seen that yeah it's, it's a massive it's a massive yeah 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 they did one for the world of microwave as well actually i think oh okay Oh no, that was Access. Sorry, Access did the uh, Waldorf microwave and the Oberheim Matrix six and one thousand. Yeah, I'm trying to get confused. Yeah, Jellinghouse. Yeah, great color. It's blue. Yeah, so exactly. They, yeah, <clears throat> one, I mean, yeah. they were a total winner for me straight away because it looked quite yeah. spacey, but I couldn't afford one of those. But yeah, great. They've redone that actually. Somebody's bit uh, started remaking that. Um, that controller for the DX7, I believe. I forget the name of the company now. It's like a cheaper version of it that's been kind of redone. It's okay. quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great idea because it opens up the access to everything. Uh, you can be way more intuitive with uh, with it if you can just try things out in you know in in a way yeah. in a much quicker, the thing, quicker way. The thing with stuff like that is that you have to get your head around when you start working with controllers like that is that mm. unlike a synth that's that been designed with all those controllers on on the panel and to have proper displays and everything, you're not always what you see is not always what you're getting if 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 you know what I mean, it kind of happens on a lot of synths that have those uh, panels where you're, it's, I mean, you can look back to something like the Jupiter 4 even, you know, a synth like that, where, you, where you've got a programmable synth with with a, an analogue <coughs> type panel, but you can call up presets which will then make whatever's on most part of the panel not either not functional, which was what would happen with the Jupiter 4 when you put it into preset mode you don't have a specific part of the panel you can control the rest of it then becomes inoperative um or nowadays where you're live taking over what those parameters are or glancing at the synth what you're actually seeing is not always what's in the synth which is something that um you have to kind of come to terms with when you're you're programming 
something with that amount of parameters that have to be extracted out in some way. Yeah. Are you um, Tune or Vince um, FM addicts or <laughs> are <laughs> I, re I really like FM. Yeah. Uh, I've got I've kind of gone from it from maybe a complete opposite angle to that Dave that Dave has in that like okay the only FM synth that I own at the moment is this hold on I got this. is uh, this one, just the model cycles from oh, Electron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. It's FM with like, just like four knobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's it. It's all been abstracted out from, from, you know, all these like complex relationships between ratios and envelopes yeah. and all of this stuff. Yeah. And it's just like, you just have four knobs. They're called like tone, color, something yeah. else shape and something else and you can get pretty you can get pretty far with that i mean mm. it's it, like it's it all right took, um, <laughs> it took yamaha till the um i think it was the v50 before they finally you know did that type of thing and they had these quick edit sliders on the on the v50 which i, I mean for me it was the pinnacle of the four operator um uh, sims that Yamaha made, um, yeah. you know, because they put that on, you could quickly alter envelopes, and you could also alter. I think they had brightness and, and things like that. Um, the, I feel like the envelopes are always like, well, if you look at something like the DX7 or like the clones, like so there was this one that I used to have called the Preen. Yeah, yeah, uh, FM3, which is like a DIY sense. That's that one right there. <laughs> <laughs> and the envelopes are just complicated, and that's the one thing I could really would like to have maybe made a bit simpler for working with I mean, FM. That's, that's the that's the one of the easiest things that they can change as well because it's just you know an envelope generator is just a module, so it's up to the manufacturer what type of envelope generator module they they decide to you know put into their synthesizer. So exactly. you need more people like your good self shouting up to these manufacturers and telling these people <laughs> that it's about time they started listening to musicians more. Exactly. We should march, march <laughs> up to the headquarters. <laughs> musicians deserve more more rights. In the, <laughs> more, in better musicians. <laughs> better interfaces for musicians. <laughs> yeah. So Actually, there's there's a there's a small sort of rave uh, loop loop. What do you call them? Groove box type thing. The DX two hundred. Of uh, yeah, uh, I've uh, always yeah. wanted one. Yeah, well, go on. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean they they are terrible because the in, oh. um, in, well they're terrible in a way that the, the effects are in, insanely uh, dodgy and cheap. But if you take them off and you just just use the FMS engine in there, it actually mm. sounds really good. You know, yeah, it's. It, it, Sorry, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a DX7 board inside, basically. Yeah. Well, it's not, it's a shrunk down version of a DX7 in, inside. Um, the interface, again, is just like... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's good. It's, you, you know, it's got a drum section in there, which is, which is horrible, and, and yeah. uh, the effects it's are terrible. 
you you know whatever you do you always um uh hit the the, the, the i don't know how they how they routed it but the, the preamp or where the or where, the, where the effects are the sounds are going to in the, in the, into the effects they they balance it so badly that you're always clipping it so if you take it off you just all you have just you just take off the effects take off all the all the stuff but the engine itself if you just use mm. it pure for the for the pure tones for the sounds it's actually quite powerful because there it is like it's almost like a, a predecessor of the uh, how do you call this thing from uh, electron the digitone or mm. you know it's yeah, got it's, par it's, parameter it's, lock it's and stuff you know inside the, the engines yeah. load the x7 presets into it so six yeah. operator um fm um yeah it's just not very well made and um <laughs> No, yeah, it's a cheap toy, but if again, if you dress it down, then uh, what what remains yeah. is just a very poor FMC. I think they're good in the sense that they're small. They're only like about this big. Yeah, they're quite small, but people do. I think, I think they ask too much money for them to build. Yeah, I was just going to say they're expensive secondhand, <laughs> like these yeah. days. Sounds they good though. They should be a lot cheaper than than they are because it's, they're not great to use the manual is utterly appalling <laughs> <laughs> and it's like about this thing and it's utterly appalling but yeah i mean it, it, it's a good if you see see one cheap somebody puts one up cheap it's a good way to get dx7 compatible hardware fm it's only a stereo app though isn't it yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 i mean look it's it's an interesting box to keep your eye out for. Just don't pay the odds for it, like like anything, I suppose. Yeah, I guess it's yeah. just is if you don't really want to get into the the depths of FM synth programming and you just want to have a few knobs yeah, and, and listen the, what happens. Yeah, like we said. Put some twiddlers on it and stuff. But yeah, yeah, I kind of yeah, I, I, I had a few good goes on that, made some tracks on it and stuff as well, actually. Um, and I, I mean, it was fun. Don't get me wrong. I, I kind of had some fun with it, you know. <laughs> but I, I thought it was a bit overpriced for, for, for what the market seemed to be at for it. Yeah, I can it recommend was, this uh, Electron model cycles. It's very cheap, and the kicks, the kicks are like so good. Like yeah. some of the best bass drums I've I've heard that aren't like you know the standard. They're really, really, really good. I've been, I've been thinking about getting one of those. I, I, I don't know what's kind of. I know what kind of what's, what's holding me back. It's like the thing that I'm not playing shows right now. But um, <laughs> uh, I was. I've been trying. To, I've been looking into getting one for like a couple of months. I, I think it, it looks really, really good. Actually, I, I'll probably sell some gear and then get one of those and see where it leaves me. The electron stuff does does look good. It looks really well built, I have to say. I've, I've not owned any of their gear, and I, I think I only played on, had a quick play with Finley's, Finley Shakespeare's, um, uh, I can't remember, I think he had the, the drum one and the FM one up at Leeds when I saw him up there last year. I had a quick, quick play. And, they, yeah, they just seem really nicely put together, you know, like well thought out um boxes designed to be moved around a lot as well so sturdy you know yeah. take them take them about with you you know which is, <laughs> is it another one of those things where like the other electron stuff where i need to go through 50 menus to get <laughs> to get myself no, it's, it's a bit easier 
I'm, I, I, like I said, I, I, if I don't get like, uh, if I don't get it like working like fast, I, I lose interest. Yeah, I, I well, notice by. Are you use Electribe for most of your stuff, or what is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. All the cool stuff. Yeah, the Electribe. Yeah, the early ones. Um, the red one. Yeah, I have, I have, I have them all, but. Um, Jochem, do you, do you remember there was, there was a guy, I think he was also from Rotterdam, like a Tim? Yeah. And he did like a couple of records with those, like the fir- the early, uh, the first generation of Electribes, the red, blue, and yellow, I think, or green, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was thinking I about him, I was thinking about him just the other day, because I, I also have all those boxes. And I was going like, whatever happened to that guy? Is he still like around? Does he still work? Um, I don't know. I was... Uh, um Cleaning up, uh, cleaning my out my uh, dead archive, you know, just see what what was on there and uh, sort of digitizing things that uh, before they the tape uh, crumbled, you know. And I found some uh, some stuff by him that he was uh, because back in the days we had we did we did uh, we were in contact, you know, and send each other's tracks. And I think I've done some I've done a remix for him and the other way around, you know. So, um, but yeah, I haven't heard it from him for a while, but his music was. Absolutely out there, just insane. Yeah. Really amazing, really amazing. I thought stuff. it was pretty very cool. Very talented he, guy. Yeah, pretty cool that he, he used like these really well, relatively cheap machines to make that like a theme for his for his releases. I think he did like two or three of those uh, twelve inches. Yeah, uh, it was. I kind of kind of like that because it was like uh, it also showed a lot of younger kids maybe that it's okay to use like these almost toys to 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 produce on mm. I yeah that. he was he was very much in his own universe and he was also doing the, the the drawings for his for his artwork all the all the artwork is made by him as well right uh, nice. yeah really cool stuff uh but i haven't seen him for a while i don't know what's uh what's i'll up look him up yeah. Asking for his old debts. <laughs> <laughs> hey, somebody popped a message up about that Korg Op Six thing, which is that new FM thing that Korg are putting up. Um, now I've had a look at that. Have you seen that Loop Op um, video uh, on the Korg Op, Op Six? No, where he goes into, yet. he does like no. a massive, like super in-depth. I think it's like nearly one hour on the whole thing. On what the Op Six does, all, all all the different things and features of it. Well, most of it, as much as we can do in an hour. Um, and it does look pretty um, pretty impressive, I have to say. I think Cork seems to have done a, a pretty good job of of taking like something that's going to be DX7 compatible, but making you know taking it a little bit further as well. You know, both with the interface but also with the synth architecture underneath as well and not just recreating a DX7, which is kind of what they did with the Vulcan is more that Vulcan. Yeah. I mean, I haven't got one and I haven't played on one, unfortunately. Have you, have, you, have you tried the, the, the stuff they did in the Motive series? Because that's... Uh, there's FM in there as well, right? In, in addition, no, to I've not there. played with the the Motif one. There's that there's that um, Mod X or Modex as they like mm-hmm. to pronounce it, but I don't think I'd ever pronounce it like that. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I think I think I think Yamaha are um, 
Um, I think they've lost the plot, to be quite honest, with FM, with all this this montage and and mm. and the and the, and the, the MODX or what whatever it is, because yeah. it it just seems so, so far beyond the reach of any normal human being. I, I don't I don't know who they're. I can't imagine who they're aiming that. The, the air FM range at these days it's just so beyond me I, I, I can't I can't you know who <laughs> apart from they've got all that power and it seems to be in the hands of the few which is very bizarre when you think where how far and how long they've been working with FM you know you think they should be leading the field whereas it seems like Korg have, and some other companies, like say Essence FM uh, and and Preen and, and Electron and people like that, seems seem to be really pushing FM forward now, rather than Yamaha. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a shame, really. But um, you know, they've look, they've upgraded it to, to you know what 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 this this kind of level, which is eight operator FM. So the the MODX and the Montage are eight operator. They're not six operator, but even with that FS1R, you know, I got that when it came out, when it was discontinued because they were selling them off so bloody cheap because they couldn't sell them at the time because it was so complicated to use. Um, so I got it really cheap, like brand new from from Turnkey in London. They were just 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 trying to, they were just throwing them out the door to get rid of them. <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, but I mean, when you look at the algorithm chart for something like like that, eight operator, it's they're not really t- even taking advantage of the fact that they've got eight operators because the, a lot of the algorithms are really just multiples of two and three and four operator setups potentially put in parallel. Ones that actually utilise anything new by having those two extra operators is, is quite small. And for something like the FS1R, you can't program your own algorithms on that, which I mean, you can on six operator, on like on the TG77 or SY99, you can make up your own algorithms in software. But the Korg Op6 allows you to do that. You can you can make up your own your own um, your own FM uh, matrix with it, like like you can with a modular. You know, you can do the same thing on a modular. If you want to build an eight operator modular synth on an operator, all you need are you know eight oscillators. They can be dual, single dual, or whatever, and then you know an amplifier to go with them, and an envelope generator, and either a matrix or a bunch of patch cables, and you're away, aren't you? Sort of thing. Long long as they've got linear. FM input to linear FM. Let's get let's get this question uh, answered because uh, you were mentioning the FS1R. Yeah. Uh, Is it programmable from, uh, without an editor? If yeah, you have a que- question from uh, Square Methods. That's one of our regulars on the on the yeah. Discord server. Yeah. Um, if you've got time. If you have the time, yes, it, it is actually quite programmable from the panel once you get your head round the um, how the panel works and the architecture of the synth, which is a bit again, you know, the, the Yamaha really did seem to lose their way a bit, I think, with it. 
<laughs> but it is doable. You can do it because um, it's it's four parts, and you've got multiple buttons, and then you've got like tons of different menus, and you've got like voice, and then performance, and uh, it all gets a bit weird. But um, you can do it. Yeah, you can. You can go through, say, a preset library on it reasonably quickly and edit, edit, you know, find a sound that's maybe something like close to what you're looking for. Mm. I mean, or even exactly what you're looking for. Some of the presets are quite good. Um, and then you can get in and, and edit reasonably easy as long as it's not too hardcore in the voice programming section, which is the really deep part. That gets really tedious, but a lot of the top level stuff you, you can you can do quite easily once you, once you've you've navigated it. Um, don't expect the manual to be a lot of help. <laughs> <laughs> so that sounds, that sounds like a that sounds like a machine machine made for uh, for Vince. Yeah, the manual <laughs> like that, you know. <laughs> okay, manual's about that big. Most of the information is in the system exclusive, um, the MIDI system exclusive implementation, mm. which gives like all the parameters, and that's that's in a tiny font in a small section. Mm. Grey on black, grey on white. <laughs> Font. So, so, so Vincent, you said you said you're more like a, a hands-on, instant gratification kind of guy, right? So, what? what well, is, I, what, used what have, I used to have. I used to have a DX21 and a, a DX100, I think. Does that, does that exist? Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. I, I had both of those, and I, I, I fiddled around with it for a bit, but. I couldn't get the sounds I wanted, and I was just like, pfft, and I just use them. <laughs> I just use them as a MIDI keyboard only. <laughs> okay. And then I sold them again. Like, I don't, I, I can't get, can get, can it, can get it to sound like I want. But this was also in the '90s, so I was a little bit more impatient then. Mm-hmm. By now, I've, I've gotten a little bit more patient, but I still can not enough for the Octatrack. <laughs> <laughs> So I was just like, no, this is just I can't, I can't, I don't have the time to dive deep into this. Um, so yeah, right now I'm just really enjoying uh, toying around with uh, those those all, all the little stuff that uh, it's so easily available. So the old electribes, of course, all <clears> the <throat> uh, um, Volcas, I'm I'm really having fun with those. I really like the Volca sample actually. Uh, it's a super weird thing, and uh, especially the uh, if you assemble your own stuff in it, it's, it can get re- really weird really fast, and you can get uh, really excellent results with it really, really, really quickly. I love it. So uh, I'm just thinking about selling everything and buying four or five of those Volca samples <laughs> and just <laughs> getting rid of everything else. <clears throat> Sorry. Have you got the Volca drum? Because that looks really interesting. That that one. I think I had the Volca rhythm, uh, and the Volca mm-hmm. bass, and a Volca FM, and a Volca sample. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, the drum one looks. That's like a. I think it's six, like a six-voice drum synth and yeah. a drum machine. You can program rhythms on it. That that cuckoo guy did a really nice little. Um, little video like an hour video on on that volca drum actually which which um 
was what made me interested in it. I, I wasn't really paying much attention to the drum ones that they were doing. I was obviously paid attention to the FM one and the modular yeah. one, but I've not bought any. I'm keeping my eyes out for a, a cheap FM one. Yeah. And the drum one looks... For, yeah, for a lot of the, it, like we did that Celtic cellular drum stuff, for example. I, I really like these little things that have gives you the ability to, to have you know multiple channels of drums. So, so for example, on the Volta drum thing, we've got six, which you know it's it's enough to make a little track on, isn't it? With have a bit of time. Well, yeah, four should be more than enough for anybody, shouldn't it? Really. Mm -hmm. <laughs> ah, yeah. <laughs> but that has a that has a cool like a, a cool delay. It's got like a waveguide delay or something like that. Yeah. that I think is uh, is pretty cool sounding. <laughs> weird stuff on it that that cuckoo video was was yeah it really opened my eyes on all the different things you can do with it and it's it's quite a remarkable little thing really for for, for not a lot of money you know again Korg are just um for you know for some of the big manufacturers i think Korg have, have really done quite well actually they haven't got much much of their gear but i think they've done done quite well for some of the big yeah, manufacturers yeah. I think it's what's cool about that those little things that that they're like really cheap and really available, and uh, you can get like uh, I, I've, I've spoken to a lot of people just lately just that just recently got into like uh, doing electronic music and they told me like I just bought this cork thing and our Volca thing and I just bought another Volca thing and I, I can connect them and they work together you know mm. <laughs> like really excited mm. <clears throat> so uh, that that's I think that's uh, that's that's very important for, for a lot of people to have access to stuff they can work with easily <clears throat> for me um, I'll usually just record hardware stuff in the in the computer again, and then uh, edit it or use it or make something else with it. Um, but I think for a lot of people, that's a really important step to have that uh, connection with something like a little bit of gear, and then another bit of gear, and they can sync it together, and then they'll they'll work together. Like, like that feeling it's, is. <laughs> it's so important, isn't it? When you, when you when you kind of starting out to to be able to see a, a bit of a pathway forward as well. Where you, yeah. Knowing that it's it's just it's not necessarily going to like just totally kill you. Like you're going to have to have a one tin of baked beans for like three months because <laughs> you've just got like like this new synth or something. Like I'm just I'm not going out like for three weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I, I remember that that when I when I started out, I I got like a drum machine and then another drum machine and then I uh, first uh, you know first time I hooked up like a MIDI cable. And got them to sync. It was like a really big deal for me, like <laughs> magic, yeah, like like a little bit of magic. Yeah, I, I, uh, this is this was also uh, early '90s, so it was it was um, I don't know, man. It was it little. It felt a little bit like magic. It really did. And then uh, hooking up like a Poly 800, uh, which had a sequencer, and then I could mm. make like sequences and and sync that with a drum machine. You know, it was super. I was just I just, mm. I just thought I was like. A, King of, of, of electronic music, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, when when MIDI came out, you know, like it was, you know, you got, I mean, I don't, I don't know how it was like for other people, but I mean, I've been playing around with synths for a few years, and you kind of, you know, you're working with different manufacturers' gear, and it's not, you know, it's not wasn't that you could connect stuff up, but it wasn't always that easy. 
and you had to buy other gear to or, or yeah. build gear you know like learn electronics to in order to be able to connect one piece of gear to the other so when midi first came out it was like everybody was just like thank you know wow like, like finally there's somebody's like okay it's not perfect but at least somebody's somebody's had a go <laughs> making yeah. some, sort of, some sort of way of connecting these machines together finally <laughs> <laughs> I also had the same feeling when I first hooked up the Atari 1040, like it had MIDI, in, which has MIDI, which is like, <laughs> it, it, perfect, it's great, but it's also like kind of insane. And then uh, the first time I made like a sequence in, in, in the Atari, I was like, I was blown away. It was, it was really life altering for me, I think. So I just hope that uh, by having these companies do like this, this little stuff that's almost, uh, that's so cheap, it's almost like uh, like toys. I hope that inspires a lot of people to start out and make music. I think that's definitely. Yeah, that's I mean, yeah, there's, there's a cool, there's there's really something to say about these almost toys little boxes because uh, even though they're the features are features are limited, uh, they can be some of them are incredibly playful and very um, uh, you know it's a good experience, a really um, adventurous experience, you know, to to play on these things because they're almost instantly understandable. Yeah. And uh, and yet they have a, a range that that uh, is big enough to to still have enough variation uh, over time, you know. So it's it's cool. Yeah. yeah, one of my favorite ones of those kind of boxes is the another one by Korg. Hi Korg, Mono Tribe. <laughs> it's oh, yeah. like yeah. it sounds so good. The bass drum is really nice, and if you're into electronics, you can do modifications on the bass drum so you can get like a really long-standing bass and. Uh, a long snare and there was this guy that i i had one for a while and there was a guy you could buy kits off who would and you could like add an extra oscillator to it to do oscillator fm and filter fm all this crazy stuff and it's just it sounds like really nice but it's designed so that the kick the snare and this uh, little hot this little white noise hi-hat that it's got sound really really good together and yeah, I remember just like having so much fun with this tiny, tiny little box. I made so many tracks in a really short space of time. With a, they're all in the same key and like they all had like pretty similar vibe. But you know, like that's that's totally fine. Like I also enjoy the fact that I can just uh, put it. It's on batteries, and I can put a headphone on and sit on the couch uh, in the living room and just work on something. Just around with something and then uh, um, usually it's nothing but sometimes i keep little elements and just uh, upload them in, in the studio or just record them and tweak them live and i think it's like it's a lot of fun and i think um for me it's also very important just just to just have a lot of fun while i'm making yeah. music you now absolutely yeah so, yeah, so what's your what's your process you you connect a bunch of hardware up and then do you multi-track it to to a door or something to your computer I sometimes do. I, I, I started with uh, Atari 1040 and Cubase. I still have Cubase. Uh, and now I have like Cubase 6 or something. Um, now I usually, if I'm pressed for time, I work uh, in the computer only. If, I'm, if I have a little bit, a couple of hours, I'll put up some hardware and uh, record some stuff uh, like, yeah, into the, into the, into the Cubase. Cubase. But stereo out, just stereo. Oh, multi-track. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. Usually, usually, to be fair, in all fairness, usually stereo. But uh, I, I, I could do multi-track if I wanted mm. to. But you, most of the time, it's just, it's just. 
I really know. I already know how, how how I want the drums to sound in relation to each other. So I'll just not even stereo. I'll just mono it out to uh, into Cubase. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I usually record stereo as well. Well, not mono, but stereo. Yeah. Always. I just can't. Uh, the indecision of having to make decision or like the having to make decisions later, putting that off. I just can't do it. Yeah. I have to decide everything there and then and then if it's like if the bass drum is too loud or whatever then that's fine it's just a track with a loud bass drum or yeah that's okay yeah yeah that's, that's also when i when i when i when i'm um back in the 90s when i made like a really a lot of music i made like well for, for me anyway i made like five or six tracks a day and it was just like uh recording via uh, f- uh four track test cam uh, which I use, which I indeed use the preamps off to get like uh, nice distortion going, uh, and then just record to tape, just uh, straight to tape. So there's only was a, a, a lot of one track tracks, or sorry, a lot of uh, one take tracks, um, and uh, I just recorded like boxes of tapes and just to later sorted them out. And some some of the stuff is good and some of the stuff is bad. And the good stuff is really good. The bad stuff is just like yeah. <laughs> skip it. <laughs> but I like that the the energy of the of that period that you can record really fast and uh, just put it on tape and you you have it instantly. You can go out to your car and play it in your car. Mm. Uh, you just made that in your bedroom. So it's uh, I really dig that that fast vibe. Yeah, it's it's like June um, uh, says, you know, about. Uh, not ha- not being able to postpone your decisions all the time can can be you know a very big help in being productive you know because the longer you keep postponing these things and the the more options you leave open um, at any moment in the in the process the the more time you're going to spend uh, on on using those options you know and if you if you basically just um, terminate the options then you're done and it's just take it or leave it you know so it's uh, i'm kind of in between i must say you know i i record everything live just because i i want to have the spontane- spontaneity uh captured you know like the the vibe of the moment or the the yeah it's like a snapshot in time you know mm-hmm. um i do leave some options open to tweak it afterwards you know so i do multi-track it and uh, sometimes I I make use of that feature, and sometimes I don't. You know, some because mm-hmm. if you if you record things live, you already are basically setting the levels to the point where they make sense at that particular moment for that particular sound. You know, so um, yeah, I I tend to clean up things a little bit sometimes, but um, I would say that ninety percent of the stuff that I do these days comes together almost in real time. You know. Um, without too much fuss afterwards and I'm certainly not into spending days and days and flipping menus and plugins and tedious my you know <laughs> m- sort of micro updates and micro move you know, micro incre- increments and stuff like that I don't I, I'm not too not patient enough for that it's um you know just I just spit them out and sometimes one comes along that I'm really happy with and the rest just get binned <laughs> I think that's. I think that that's in a producer. If you're if you're a producer and you've been doing it for for some time, I think that's like a phase thing you go through as well. Yeah, I had a yeah, phase yeah. where I wanted everything my... multi-tracked and you know just yeah. have control over everything and recall at any 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 given uh, yeah. moment. And then oh, I'm going to listen true. back to this mix now three yeah. three weeks later and change it just a little bit. Yeah. It's version 23 of this mix. Yeah. You know, and at some point, I just decided like this is not this is not really keeping the energy for me. So 
yeah. I think uh, you're, at some point you're going back to working live more. Yeah. Dave, are you still there? Are you frozen? Dave? <laughs> oh, dear. He'll come back. <laughs> there he is. Yeah. Disconnected. Anyway, uh, he's um, he's in Australia, so I know it's a it's a long travel for the data, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that um, must be it. <laughs> question from Mogu. Come. <laughs> oh, there's Dave. I think Dave is coming back. Yeah, okay. there we are. Ah, We're there back. he is. <laughs> We're on rural, um, rural okay, let's, broadband let's, uh, here. <laughs> we use the term broadband very very loosely. I think it's <laughs> the most loosest possible definition of broadband. More like an elastic band, I think. Anyway. <laughs> well, good to have you back. Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, do you also record metadata is the question from uh, mogu.com or underscore com from uh, Twitch. Uh, no, I don't. Uh, I do sometimes. Yeah. If I remember, <laughs> sometimes I, I'm just like I, I'm not interested in doing that because um, it sounds great, and I'm just like, okay, I'm going to record this now. Um, so I'll just record it and do the session. Halfway through, sometimes I'll be like, oh, I'm so glad I'm getting the MIDI data for this, and then I'll look at uh, <laughs> the recorder and start recording MIDI data, and I'll be like, well, I'm not going to stop it now just to capture MIDI data. <laughs> yeah. so, so so dave what, what yes, i was what, what i was wondering you, a lot of your work is uh, is based on um uh, generative uh ways of generating patterns and and musical uh, intervals and whatever and you use cellular automata and you know systems like that but do you have a similar approach for your sound design is that also is in in a way um generated in some way or or do you actually design sounds uh especially for uh the purpose do you or is it is it the same i don't know what the, i was wondering because you seem to be such a fan of fm and and synths and stuff so you know sort of getting really into the into the heart of things how they how they work but do you actually make use of them in a way that you sort of tweak them out or or do you also just random Gen randomly generate banks and then choose the ones that you like or something. What what's, uh, what's um, the process there? Well, look, I mean, I really do enjoy programming synths myself and exploring sounds mm. um, and coming up with different sounds on, on my synths. Um, but I'm also very interested in how uh, computational devices, you know, algorithms. Um, or generative processes, algorithmic processes, um, be they computer-generated or generated, you know, in other forms, you know, like in the real world, for example, you know, some form of data generation in some way that's been created and how I can integrate that into sound and music in some way is what, is what interests me. So, um, so those two kind of... I like to try to think I'm, I keep them in balance so that I, I'm satisfying my own curiosity for, for, for um, exploring sound using my own hands, so to speak. But I'm also very interested to see what a machine that I've created or an algorithm that I've created, as well as it playing, how can it articulate parameters 
within the sound that it's playing or manipulate, say, the effects that are being used on that sound. So I'm, you know, I, 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 I like both sides of that coin and I, I like to have my cake and eat it, I, I suppose, because back in the old days I couldn't. You know, when I first started, it was, it was just so laborious um, to do, whereas now it's a lot easier. Um, so, so I, I like both. Yeah, I, I, I love programming, and I love hearing how 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 algorithms can come up with sound as well as as the musical side, as well as just as the playing. You know, I think it's an interesting area. I, I'm not, um, you know, I, I I I I like to approach it playfully. I, you know, I it's as well as it being there's an academicish angle to it, but I'm I'm. I'm more playful myself as a person. You know, I've done, been involved with the universities in the past and done sort of academic stuff with them, but I, I don't like want to have that to be my complete world. I like to maintain a, a sort of kind of playful independence away from that, if, if you like, and, yeah. and sort of dabble with them from a distance now. <laughs> you, did, you did a lot of... Uh... Well, you've done a lot of playful stuff with Cellular Automata, uh, like that really good release you did on Conditional. Yeah. Uh, um, what was that called? Night Garden. Yeah. Night Garden. GDN. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the one <laughs> that uh, the one that we released recently as well, which was that was with uh, with drum machines and stuff as well. Yeah, CCD Chaotic Cellular Drums. Yeah. Chaotic Cellular Drums. Yeah. Yeah, which was made so long ago. That was just that was so powerful making that as well. Like it would be so much easier to do now, but it was, it was a long, hard process. But I remember when I met when I met you in uh, in Stockholm for that first time, and you were working in EMS. Yeah, you had these like what was it? You had like these like small plastic see-through lunch boxes, which you'd wired everything up inside, and it was like some kind of like cellular automata box that just spits out all of these like patterns yeah. and rhythms yeah. and I don't yeah, know, it's amazing. It's just Arduino like yeah, yeah, a lot of it was like Arduino-based oh, yeah. um, hardware that I was in the in the middle of. Some of it was built like. Um, Oh, this one. I'll just unplug it. I had this one with me. The shelves of the noise lab. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't really. Um, I'll be very careful to make sure that the, uh, the umbilical cord stays attached to this. So yeah, that one I had. Yeah, I remember that. It's wow. got. It's got. Dude, it's so cool. It looks really cool. It does. <laughs> I've got to find out where the. Here we go. I've got a circuit board on the top. And these are all my notes, so I know what the cables are <laughs> at the back. So I have that with me, and then get a load of stuff in in lunch boxes that yeah weren't not none of which was designed for travelling. I hasten to add. So the wonderful uh, techs at EMS were were uh, kind enough to help me out a few times and let me into the workshop and what have you. Um, yeah, I mean, look, that's another great area that's, again, being democratised thanks to things like Arduino and, and processing and Teamsy and all these other 
you know, amazing little um, devices you can now get that if if you or a nerdy friend, you know, who can program and you can make friends with, you know, you can do a tiny bit of electronics maybe. You don't really need to do much electronics now, to be honest. Mm. Um, yeah, you can most you can do, you can really do most of these things in, in Max MSP or in Kima or uh, stuff like that or Reactor. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's right. I mean, look, I, I I try and make as much as of what I do nowadays open source as I can. It just it just takes time to do it, which is obviously a difficult thing. So so unless I get get support somehow, I can't devote a lot of time to doing the open source stuff. But I just put it out when I can. Um, Things like the um, Arduino Nano or the Uno, for example, you can get them for like $2 on eBay, you know, and you can download them like the Mozzie library or something like that, which is a bit like a, a kind of C-sound-ish sort of programming environment or, or, or Super Collider-ish programming environment. So, you know, it's a little programming environment. It does all the basic synthesis building blocks like wave shaping, FM, phase modulation, this, that, and the other. All on this little $2 chip, it just comes out one of the pins and you stick a resistor on the end of it and you've got a, you've got You've got a synth, you know. It's got envelope generators, yeah. and you know, and my microtonal oscillators. A lot of the microtonal drone stuff that I that I was doing, I I worked with with things like that. So you know, you can make like a a, a four voice, you know, microtonal drone synth for just a couple of dollars, and all you're doing is changing the code on the computer, downloading it to this little chip, and then. Putting a crocodile clip on 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 a resistor that's coming out of it, <laughs> not moving. It's just so it, it's so so basic and easy and cheap on nowadays to be able to do that kind of thing. You know, to to, to be able to if if you're prepared to to do a bit of DIY, it's not for everybody. I understand that, but um, yeah, so many people are getting into the, into that kind of programming now that, 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 I mean, back in when I was starting working with technology and, and, and electronic music and stuff, you know, you, it's not that different in the sense that you kind of had to, to, to go out and find other people who were interested in what you were interested in. Now, back then, it wasn't so much a thing that was related to aesthetics. It was more about technology, whereas now, technology has been a lot more democratized so you've got you've got in some sense a lot more choice in terms of the type of nerd that you want to lend <laughs> should i say if you don't have the 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 the, the means to to do the nerd part yourself or the diy part yourself there's 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 a lot more you know opportunity out there i think for people to be able to to collaborate and and make interesting technological explorations in music with, with, with not a massive financial outlay you know just just got to educate yourself basically in, in some of the some of the processes or some of the pe people and things like that you know and i think that's i think that's great i mean i'm, I'm quite i'm very, i know i'm very lucky in that i i learned a lot of that technology early when it was when i first started so it's can you can you uh, can you can you talk about your involvement with uh, the uh, AFX base station? Oh, did, that thing! Yeah, yeah, you did some, oh, you did some there, presets. Yeah. yeah, you did the 
presets for that, or did you, or did you do anything beyond yeah, just did. the presets? I did um, oh, thirty presets. Well, I gave they. I think they asked me for for thirty, and then I did a bunch and get and we picked thirty, and and they asked me for an overlay as well. So I mean, I got paid. <laughs> yes, yeah, so nice it wasn't free. Me. Um, uh, <laughs> yes. Um, so it was great. I mean, I signed a non-disclosure agreement, obviously, so I can't say too much. Oh, I mean, I can okay. Talk okay. about some some of the process. I'd be happy to. I mean, look, it's a great synth. Um, Richard had been going on and on at me for years and years to to get one, and I, I'll just keep saying no. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much be like that. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not, not going to get one like that. Various different since. Anyway, um, in the end, I think that, that was his way of, of making me have one. So they sent me like two and and, a, and some other gear, like a pin and some other stuff. As, as my payment for, the, for doing these priests. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Okay, I only mentioned it because your your name was in the announcement, so that's why I'm yeah, yeah. you don't have to no, talk about it. It was but. great. Yeah, it, it was worked on quite a while back. In um, I was I think I programmed all that up in April or something like that. Um, all those sounds and all in the overlay, and I was interested in. Um, what well, I was interested in 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 you know capturing. Um, uh, what it felt like for me to just be given this new synth. What what would be the the kind of sounds I'd want to put in it? And it it was weird because it made me feel like exactly like I was sixteen again. It, it was exactly <laughs> the same feeling because I, I I felt exactly like I did when I got my Jupiter Four because that was like a program programmable uh, analog. I mean that was a polysynth four note polysynth, but it's it's still the same kind of thing in the fact that it's one voice that you're programming and it's four note polyphonic for that voice. So it's not that different in the sense that on, on, on the AFX station BS2, what, you know, you've got one panel overlay for what's now a duophonic um, sim. Um, so it's the same type of thing. So I was getting that same buzz and that same vibe I was getting when I was, 16 like all over again of just sort of exploring this this synth with all this this sort of programmability and i could store it which was you know which was a very important thing for me for the first synth i got i wanted to be able to store patches because that was that was quite a big thing you know 1981 to be able to store your own patch albeit only eight i think you could store yeah. Yeah, it's actually actually it's, it's a very very good idea if you want to get to know a synth to mm. assign yourself the job to make presets for it because that yeah, makes totally. you, that makes you so, that makes you explore the whole machine in in, in yeah. with a whole so different what mindset. I did was, so what, what what I did with it was was like I, I because it was making me feel like that I went through the Jupiter Four patch book, you know. Um, in the back of the Jupiter 4 manual, and I started looking at the pre the the the, the patch sheets, and I thought, oh well, I'll transfer some of these over onto the onto the base station for a bit of fun, and see what they sound like. And some of them were like, well, actually, weren't 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 
too distant from what I remember the original ones to be like, <laughs> even though I could have checked because it was in the other room, but I, I didn't bother. Um, so I did a few kind of that way, looked through things like, you know, like the, the SH-101 manuals and the, the Pro-1 manuals and stuff like that and was getting inspiration from all these old manuals of all the different patches that they were putting in. So I did a few of those and then I thought, well, I want to do a, a one-note drone patch as well, you know, sort of similar similar-ish i suppose to that drone four album that i did on that meds label with with tom knapp and and, and from catalyst um so i did like a drn4 patch for it nice. as well which is like you press it down it's it's got latch see that's another thing that made me like it with the jupiter 4 because the jupiter 4 has a hold button on the front so in 1981, I had this ability to just press a hold button and hold four notes down, and it would just sustain them mm -hmm. infinitely, and, and they'd just drown forever, and then you just press another key and change them if you want, and even stick the arpeggiator on them. So I learned all my kind of drone techniques back way back then using that hold button, which on this is now called latch or whatever. I think MIDI, it's sustain. I think it's sustained foot switch on off is the actual CC64. I think it's a MIDI controller for that. Um, so yeah, you just hit latch on that, and then and then bang, you press the note, and it's just infinite hold. You know, you can just walk away. Yeah, on the MS20, for example, the MS20 is a, a rotary for hold, and it runs out after about a minute, I think. Which I was eternally disappointed when in '82 <laughs> when I got my MS20 that. That the yeah. whole function didn't the go. One minute way. drone record isn't isn't any good. <laughs> yeah, you have to keep refreshing the key on the MS20. Speed drone. I was I was, gonna, yeah. I was just going to say about the MS20. I I, uh, I also used to have an MS20, and I, I used to stick like um, popsicle wood, the wood of a popsicle, you know, yeah. in between of the keys, just to keep them yeah. like, just Are keep you? them going. Yeah, I had the same thing with uh, uh, one yeah, of the earliest. Uh, wedge like, under, like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah well, one of the earliest archive samples. They only looped when you when you had a sustained note, and um, so you could actually uh, have a uh, yeah a popsicle or something like a, a I don't know like a little wooden piece um, to to be able you know to just loop the sounds and you know that I actually did a few tracks with without uh, a sequencer, just having. You know, several sounds loop on under different keys. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, it, it all would all shift a little bit. You know, like in yeah, and out yeah, of time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that cool. BS2 and the AFX station are good for that because you've got a little sequencer in it, and the, it's got an arpeggiator as well. You know, which is good. So you can um, the amount of things you can do with it are just quite phenomenal you know it's 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 like the end the envelopes are uh loopable to audio rates for example oh. you know That's which nice. is pretty That's bloody good. impressive yeah. um the lfos go to audio rates you know low end audio rates you can do fm with the envelope generators and the lfos if you want to you know mm. which is you know not to be sniffed at so to speak, <laughs> <laughs> it's just too bad none of us can get in, get can get one anymore because they're probably sold out. And uh, like, yeah, we'll just get a BS two because it's exactly right. the same thing. The only difference is the presets. Right, um, 
the only difference is, I'm trying to drop it, is the bottom's purple. <laughs> and obviously, oh, it's got, obviously, it's, hang on, where are we? obviously, it's got the Apex logo on it. Um, and then, obviously, you've got the sub-oscillator, submarine. All, all the panel graphics are a bit different. All right. The sub-oscillator. Yeah. yeah. That's a submarine logo, that, for example, which is pretty cool. Always does it for me, having little little things like that on. And one other thing, because I played live with this at a church on November the 6th, is that unlike... Unlike... It's a good job they're very light as well. <laughs> so unlike this one, look, where you've got... You can see where the knobs are. Yeah. You've got the white bits. This is a bit more like... Um, What's that? What's that spaceship in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Oh, um, I don't know. Well, all, all <laughs> the knobs. There's no. There's just a tiny bit you can feel on the knobs. There's no actual painting on so any all... of the knobs at all. So when you play live, or even in the studio, you can't see where any of the. Oh, yeah, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> you don't have that. Nice. Which, which is quite nice, actually. Yeah, I dig that. I did like that. Um, well, it's and good, the DAs you use your ears. Different, yeah. But but I mean, essentially, you can turn a BS two into exactly the same thing. So you know, if you want to get a cheap one, then get Without a BS two off someone who's flogging theirs to buy one of the, one of them. Yeah, just, just <laughs> I'll just yeah. uh, buy an Apex sticker on uh, on eBay and yeah, and then stick an Apex, spray it black and stick an Apex, take all the knobs off. Yeah, you know? even the but, even the uh, the base station one is a great thing. machine. I did a yeah. uh, it is one thing with the Pro One patch sheet I did with it was um I wanted to program that Vince Clark only you. Sound, mm -hmm. you know that that. Yeah, where it's got like a repeat. It, you like you press the note, and then there's a decay, and it goes down. Then when you let the note go, and it comes back up, and you get the release of it. So it's like a, a it's almost like a, an echo effect. It's like a single echo by pressing yeah. the note and then releasing it. I think the time you hold the note down will determine whether or not the the echo actually happens. So you can play that only you with, with the only you sound which I pinched on his Pro One patch. I hope he's not watching because he probably, <laughs> probably yeah he probably want um, a point one percent or or a stock, uh, five percentage off me or something for that. <laughs> well, it's um, it's uh, it's inspired by you know it's not stolen from, but it's just inspired by. Mm. Let's let's, um, let's say that <laughs> he published it in, in it was in Electronics and Music Maker like 1982 or whatever. So it's it's surely out of copyright now. It's funny how some of the old synths um, uh, from the 80s and even from the 70s have these books with uh, settings so you can mimic the sound of a violin or a trumpet <laughs> you know like yeah. yeah i've got a book for my uh, my synthy ems which is ems synthy and it's uh, it's a really it's made by a third party though it's not it's not from ems but it's got all these patch examples 
um, for pretty much just only classical instruments, you know, and and you know, this is so not what the what this thing has been designed for, or is is makes it you know makes it a special machine, you know. I mean, it's 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 possible to make all kinds of sounds with it, but you know, it's just funny to see that somebody actually made the effort to make it sound like a traditional instruments and, and made a book out of it you know it's crazy that was one of our big battles in the early days was to overcome that kind of um, totalitarianism because <laughs> all the all the traditional musicians were getting upset about that we were all you know what well, me and a lot of people i knew were all interested in finding new and different sounds that you couldn't find anywhere else exactly. <laughs> you, yeah. buy all the, you buy this synth and then all the programs in the back would be like yeah let's like say how to make that and then there'd be one you know police siren and a dog bark <laughs> and a whistle or something would be, you know <laughs> the, the, the uh the scope for, you know there wasn't you didn't kind of have this jim morrison vision of the universe ending sound like, there was nothing like you'd expect you know that kind of visionary feel you were hoping for in, in this manual. Nothing seems to have changed in those manuals in that sense, really, I don't think. They, they seem to just seem to think that it, it's more like a, uh, uh, a decoding of the source code into a parameter list with, with the source code comments kind of Englishized in some way or whatever i don't know it's just you know writing manuals for synths should be they should have a specific department i reckon at synth manufacturers where they can just do it properly there should be a special education uh, for this like uh, in journalism school should be uh, one of the, the one of the uh, one of the what do you call it like the 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 part of the curriculum can, yeah. Right, part of the curriculum in the end, you know, like uh, I, I graduated on uh, writing uh, synthesizer manuals. Yeah, you know, nine, nine out of ten times I don't even touch a manual whenever I get something. I mean, I think the last manual I read was uh, the Octatrack manual because that that is one you don't really get uh, very far if you just uh, stare at it and try things. You know, I mean, you can get some ha something happening, but not you don't really get into the into the deep corners of it. But other than that, I don't think I've read a manual for ages, you know, for, for decades probably. I, I just uh, opened the... Start pressing and making mistakes on the exactly. machine. Yeah. You'll, you'll find out about it uh, while you're uh, exploring it, you know, so... Mm. It's, yeah. you know, it's very possible I miss a lot of uh, features of some of the stuff I have. I, I, I don't even know, but, um, you know, uh, I think it's... it's a good, uh, I think it's, it's a good mark of a, of a, a synth or a piece of gear if you... If you start playing around with it, you know, you've, you've maybe cursorily looked at the manual perhaps or not even bothered and then you're fiddling around with it and then the net, you know, within, say, half an hour or so, you're reaching for the record button, mm. you know, and you're thinking, oh, actually, no, I think I better grab this, like, that, yeah. that's, that's one of the best sort of signs, I think, for an instrument or, or a piece of tech is that you're... You're drawn to, to actually using it to produce quickly, you know, yeah. to actually make something that you're happy with and you want, you want to record it. Yeah, you know, it's... it's you'd, a, you'd, be, you'd be gutted if you missed it, you know. Yeah. You would just I, I think it's part spend of the time trying to understand how you'd made it. It'd be, it'd be all over. 
It's, yeah, it's, I think it's part of what makes the whole process of, of creating things fun. You know, if mm. if you if you are slightly in the dark about part part of how things work, you know, like uh, um, you know, most of the times you make the best things when you have no clue what you're doing. You know, mm -hmm. um, if, if there's something you are trying to do and and you know exactly how to get there, it's probably going to be very boring. And um, if you have, um, if there's a certain part of what you're doing is a mystery, and and requires some exploration or or um, experimentation, um, very often that makes the process more fun and the results more interesting. And some people like the the mistakes that you can see. Either other people don't see them, or they're the bits they like the best. Yeah. You know, something that's happened to me in the past is like I'll play someone a bunch of tracks. Like, so let's say I'll play them ten tracks, and I'll you know, and, and they'll go, "Oh yeah, right, whatever." Because oh, I really like that one the best. You can pretty much guarantee about ninety nine percent of the time it's the one you spent the least amount of time. On, <laughs> yeah. The one that is the, the the one that they personally like the best. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a lot. A lot of your music sounds like one big mistake, uh, though, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> it's like all. It's like all. It's all one. It's all one mistake. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> no, it's true though. If you if you're um, uh, some, you know, because the thing is, if once you release something, um, basically the statement is, uh, this is the, this is the final thing, right? This is the this is how it's how it was supposed to be. But very often. Uh, it's not, you know, I mean, people don't know it because by the act of releasing something is saying, you know, this is this is my this is the best version of what it could be or something like that. Or this is the the version I'm happy to put out of the, out into the world, you know, but um, yeah, so if many I of the things that I many of the things have I've done contain mistakes, you know, and sometimes mm -hmm. they the bugs become the features, you know. I, I I also think that uh, because when you send stuff to a label and the label picks tracks, they never pick the track. They never pick the track I wanted on the on the on the on the, on the, on the release. Yeah, <laughs> almost never. And then it becomes more like this release was like a co-production between me and somebody at a label, and the label person picked some tracks of the stuff that I made. So I I'm not sure if it's if it's if it's the uh, the intended release always that I wanted to make, but it's more like a version of that intended release. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I'm sure that probably is the same for all of you. I, yeah, I, I try to I, I, again. I mean, I've, I suppose I've been lucky in some sense. I've managed to maintain a, a reasonable amount of independence in that sense. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I've I've had that kind of experience where like you take stuff to people and they either, you know, want stuff take take tracks and not interested in, or they want you to change something in a track, or, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the you know, it, it's I mean that's a difficult line. So you you've got to make you, you your own call. I think on on that kind of thing about how far you 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 want to go with that process with those particular people you know it's it's yeah it's good when you put you know it's been it's again like the democratization of the synth is is has been followed with things like Bandcamp and and stuff like that so it's a lot lot easier for for us independent type artists to to put stuff out and around mm -hmm. on different labels without 
as much interference now as, as perhaps was in the past. But that's that's a very difficult difficult area. I'm with you on that one. It's it's it's. I think a lot of the time I just don't like having these kind of conversations. So if I, there's something that I really want to release, I just release it on my own label and then yeah. say, yeah. fuck it, you know? Uh, yeah. I think I, I really just, not that I need to have that control, but uh, I like it. <laughs> well, yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And, that's, that, and that's, that's, I think that's a great thing because you, you get, you know, other people are entitled to their opinions and labels are entitled their, to their opinions and labels will have, you know, a particular, um, depending on the label, I suppose, they're going to have a particular area that they think defines their label. And if what you're giving them is, is perhaps, you know, only partially within that area, they feel they've got the right to carve the other parts out in order to put your music out and, not all labels are like that. And, yeah. You know, how, how do you how do you, how do you deal that with that, Vincent? Because you release an awful lot. Your catalog is is absolutely humongous. Um, uh, do, do you sort of moderate what people give you for for releases? Or yeah, that's 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 it's kind of a double double-edged sword, of course. Because uh, one, I'm I'm complaining about this uh, in a sense. On the other hand, I'm also doing this, but not so strictly. <laughs> Not so strictly, though. I, you know, uh, my my label is uh, pretty small time. New York Haunted label. We are now two hundred thirty six releases, I think, uh, deep. And uh, that's, that's insane. That's <laughs> amazing. Yeah, yeah, incredible. Uh, but usually, I if somebody people I don't like if people send me stuff they think will fit on the label. I, I really want them to send me stuff that they are very happy with. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes I can pick it, I can hear it, you know, like they send me tracks, like, okay, now you're just sending me a bunch of acid tracks. I don't necessarily need any more acid tracks. I just want you to send me what you are happy with sending me. And mm. um, I hope, I've, I don't think I've real, I've, not, I've never, I think, let me think. No, I've never said it to an artist that uh, he, he or she needs to change something specifically in a track. I think I've said I've chosen tracks that oh you know they're like go good together like uh, for an EP something yeah. like that you know make a uh, cut one or two tracks off the stuff they sent me but I rarely uh, ask them to uh, send me um, something else and then they were sending me. Yeah, it's funny that you say that mm -hmm. because I, I've I've ran several labels and. Um, People tend to sometimes send you stuff um, that they made for the label, and then they use the back catalog of the label as their example of what you think you want for the label. But <laughs> basically, you've already released that, so why would you release <coughs> something like that again? You know what I mean? Yeah. So in that sense, I'm I'm with you. I'm like, uh, yeah, just make something you're happy with, and uh, whether I think it's it's uh, it could be part of the catalog or not, you know, is is either yes or no. But I would never try to change it or, or in, you know, uh, intervene in, in whatever they offer. You know, it's like either, yeah. I li you know, I feel it's part of it. It could be, you know, added to the collection or not. And um, but I would yeah. rather have people send me something special, something they're really behind and proud of, with with no, yeah. um, 
you know, without having it made for the label or pitched towards the sound of the label, because all you all you'll end up with is something like a label that where everything sounds the same, you know, which which uh, mm -hmm. which <laughs> it's just no there's no point to it. How do you do it, uh, Tune? Because you also have, you run Fluff, which is one of the, I think one of the best labels I've I've seen in the last couple of years. So. Uh. Uh, I rarely get asked anyone to, well, I've never actually, I, I think, asked anyone to change anything in a track. I have occasionally picked tracks out of a selection of tracks. And I think on one or two occasions, uh, uh, an artist has asked me for input and we've like developed uh, a certain number of tracks together. But quite often someone just sends me something that's a bit bonkers or whatever, and I say, Dala, do you like to release that, please? Yeah. And I know when I really when I released your one, Dave, I was just so curious about that title. I just really wanted to hear what it sounded like. And yeah. uh, uh, I mean, it's that's the one that it's as, a, as a NYZ, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's always difficult when, like, or it's not difficult, but it's it's where it gets really interesting when you're working with with an artist and you build up a relationship together, and uh, you know you both are trying to make something as as good as possible. But then the route to to that might be different. But then you usually kind of end up seeing eye to eye by the end. Uh, I hope usually, and um, <laughs> and. Uh, like I think that's that's the part of running a label that I really really enjoy. It's not so much the dubbing cassettes and posting shit out. It's more the that process. I think is really valuable to me, and I've learned a lot from uh, a load of different artists that I've that I've released on just maybe about their approach or how they group tracks or think about like structuring a release or yeah, all of these all of these things that people put into making their music makes it so interesting because there are so many different ways that people approach working with sound and making tracks making music and you can always learn something from uh from someone even if uh you're just maybe choosing a couple of their tracks or whatever there's uh always something that like interesting there i think and that's what that's what drives me to keep going with it um do you do you uh, you and and Vince actively hunt for people or hunt for for certain artists or something or is everything you release basically sent to you? Um, I think I did like at the start. I definitely hunted for some people because nobody knew anything about me or uh, this label Floof. Um, so I was like friends with some people like Callum Gunn who runs uh, Conditional, which is another amazing label. Um, and some friends here in Copenhagen who ran a label called Disformation that was really good, and we all kind of cross-pollinated for a while. Um, and uh, But, you know, you end up, once, once you're kind of, like, let's say, hanging out with people or talking to people online, you end up striking up friendships with a range of different people, and then it becomes a really organic thing where they're like, oh, you know, I'm working on this stuff, and you say well, you should send it to me and have a listen. And then if it fits, it fits, you know. Um, it's not so often that, that a demo will will be something that I will release because I find the, the, the stuff that you get sent as a demo can... Sometimes people mightn't even, like, 
know what your label is they just send it to all the labels out there you know yeah then you get you get all you get those as well yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um the last one i think that I, I released that was a demo that i didn't know at all before was this one by this artist called parsa um who made this really cool release on using a dave smith evolver i think and uh which is nice. a synth. it's it's a great synth yeah, uh, a lot of my early generative um, stuff I did on uh, Dave Smith's Evolver. Like I got it back in the UK and brought it to Australia with me. I sold it a few years ago, regretfully. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a whole separate episode. Here, you regret selling. No, that's a great sense, the Evolver. Yeah, sort of carry on, Steve. Yeah, Stephen, what was the... Uh, yeah, and it was just like, got an email saying, hello, I made this music, and I listened to it, and was completely blown away, and uh, we're good friends now, and I think uh, Paris has released music on your label, Vince, and uh, yeah. yeah, and uh, super artist. Yeah, um, really good. In the, in the beginning, I, I didn't know, did I? No, I, I didn't, I've, I don't think I've ever, yeah, so the, only the last couple of years I, I've reached out to musicians specifically because I wanted them to do something on the label. And the first couple of years, it was just like uh, people, as soon as I started uh, releasing stuff, they somehow people sent me stuff. Um, but I wasn't, I wanted to diversify the label a little bit. Um, and I wanted more female producers and I actively sought out female producers to uh, to, to work with. Because uh, they didn't, I don't know why, but they didn't, they didn't never sent me stuff. So I just like uh, just uh, found a couple of producers that I really thought were doing interesting stuff, and uh, just sent them a message, like uh, uh, Lorraine James, um, who uh, uh, did like uh, two stuff, two things online on Bandcamp only, and then I sh sh so sent her a message like I want to do a tape, and uh, she sent me stuff over, and it was really good, uh, and a couple of more. Um, where I just uh, sent them uh, a specific request for, hey, please send me some stuff for, for the label if you have time or if you have material. Feel free to share it because I'm really interested in your music and I want to I want to uh, put it out. Um, and now uh, we are in, at 236 and we're almost at 250 and the label will cease to exist at 250. So, <laughs> nice. What? I'll send you something quick then. That's a great idea. Absolutely yeah. ama amazing idea. Yeah. Cool. Nice. Then, so is that something you planned from the start, or is it just just because you, you, there's something itching and you want to start 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 something new right now? Or something? I, I'll be honest. I planned to go to 500, but uh, okay. <laughs> I don't see myself uh, go reaching 500. So I, I just uh, cut it in half and made it 250. I think 250 is a uh, is a is a lot of music. It's a lot of music. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and uh, I was it was always the plan to do to end it at at some point at a specific moment just to cut it off, and then either uh, and we're still debating I'm still debating this with uh, a lot of of the artists we have a secret Facebook chat group and we talk regularly, almost daily, uh, and I'm we're still debating if if at two fifty everything becomes uh, free or if uh, everything becomes locked, we're not sure yeah. so. Or uh, super expensive. <laughs> super expensive. <laughs> super expensive, yeah. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not super expensive, but yeah. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, we're, we're, we're uh, I'm excited to to head out to 250. Yeah, I like I like I s- s- mo- you know a lot of the th- ideas in in all of the stuff that you're doing have these kind of uh, almost binary uh, characters. You know, it's like you end the label there, or you have a. Um, uh, yeah, you 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 give things away on SoundCloud and stuff like that. You know, it's just a very um, you kind of mess with the rules of the industry in in a way. You know, sort of um, um, yeah, punky in a way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's cool. also because I I, uh, I I I was a part of the music industry like a long well, time still ago. Are. Well, I'm 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 on the edge of it throwing uh, hands of sand into the machinery right now <laughs> but i used to be like uh, trying to sabotage it <laughs> trying to sabotage it a little bit yeah yeah uh, but i used to be uh um uh yeah that's a good idea for your for yeah. your uh, pricing model <laughs> yeah, i'll think about it yeah <laughs> uh but i used to be like in a band and we were signed to roadrunner and we did like the uh, i did like marketing meetings and and video shoots and stuff like that and we made hundred thousand dollar video clips and we did uh we recorded in the studio in la and all that that crazy stuff that was uh still uh happening in the music industry like uh, 25 30 years ago uh so i i've seen what that looks like and i really don't want to be part of that anymore so i i, I specifically uh aim to be like outside of that and just do what i really what, I, what a, I feel but there's a massive space in between you know um it doesn't it doesn't mean that if you if you um uh, i mean sabotage is not not uh, the only option uh, beside that you know what i mean <laughs> not really <laughs> <laughs> we're already <laughs> producing such amazing music without the requirement of a large record company yeah <laughs> No, it's yeah. cool though. But I mean, I mean, uh, I, I, I think it's it's great that you have, um, um, you know, it's it's quite special that you have even lived through that. You know, uh, yeah, it is, it is. Well, it was yeah. fun to do, also <laughs> fun to witness. Not mostly. everybody can say that, you know. Yeah, it was fun to to uh, to look into, to like to be to be a spectator on that. But uh, I never felt at home in in that mm. in, the, in that uh, in that environment. So I, I just sure. was like. Okay, we just started yeah. a band uh, just to be fif- when you're 15 or 14 and you you you, you can't really play an instrument. Uh, you just want to be the loudest, fastest band in your village. <laughs> that's that's why we started a band, you know. And so the, well, I was not started. I never started a band to be at a at a boardroom talking to marketing mean- managers about yeah. the hidden meanings of song and how we can sell it <laughs> and how we can market it. And it was just like, a God's sake, I don't yeah. know, you know. Uh, so that that was uh never 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 part of the plan this is this is a this is a very specific plan and this is a, a the way i can i feel very comfortable uh doing stuff in music and helping others release their music uh, and get getting their trust i think that's very important too, that somebody gives you their trust and they send you their tracks and they, they trust you to to share that with the world I think that's that's something really special, and I don't think I'm not sure labels th- think about that enough. No, I think it's a great idea. I mean, I'm, I'm quite uh, blown away by the fact you say you're going you're going to end the label at 250. I think that's brilliant. It's amazing. <laughs> it's cool. 
Yeah, I'll keep an eye on it. I'm curious right. to see what the end, what the end of the, what it will end up being, whether it's going to be open source or locked or whatever. We're also still working on number two fifty itself, which should be something different than we've done before. Uh, there's a guy in Russia working on some uh, uh, software. We're, we're hoping to release a bit of software as our 250th release. Wow. Uh, cool. So I'll keep you posted. Nice. Looking forward <laughs> to that. Question for Noise Lab. How did you end up in Kotamundra? Is that where you are? In yeah. South Wales? Yes. Yeah, so how, how far away uh, from, from Sydney are you? Indeed. Very good question indeed. Well, I um, uh, I ended up in Australia because I was doing my PhD here in 2003 on generative music and cellular automata. Nice. And, um, woo, woo, woo. Yay! Which I I finished in 2006, and I got um, uh, I got booked for a festival in Wagga Wagga called. Unsound, which was before the um, Unsound Poland and stuff, it, it's like that's kind of related to the one in Wagga because the one in Wagga came first. And one of the organisers um, was a lady called Sarah Last, and um, yeah, we ended up getting married and having two kids. So <laughs> <laughs> and that's where she's from. So I I moved ra rather than rather than um, uh, moving all the way back to the UK, I thought it was probably easier just to stay in Australia and um, and Move not your stuff. We started a thing called the Wired Lab um, after she did a lot of the untown stuff in Wagga, um, and we started that thing called the Wired Lab and working on like rural. Contemporary art stuff, field recording, worked with a lot of people like um, Alan Lamb, Robin Fox, Oren Ambarchi, um, Russell Haswell, um, all sorts of people. Um, Talking about so Robin Fox, have you have you visited uh, Mess in Melbourne? I've not visited it. No, I don't get to down to Melbourne very often. Rarely at all, actually. Do I get to, mm. Mel to Melbourne? Um, I'd love to go down there one day. It looks looks amazing. They've got some amazing gear. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I've got reasonable access, obviously, to my own gear and through other people I know as well. So it's 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 not like vital for me to. I'm not missing out, so to speak, on <laughs> by, by not going there. The only reason I'd be missing out be you know some bits of gear that I find interesting that I perhaps haven't got access to and, and you know, meeting people and doing workshops and stuff. But, um, yeah, I've not really, not really, not had a chance to see inside it yet. But it looks like a great space. They're doing a great job, you know. It's mm. it's, it's it's very well used, you know, much like EMS in, in Stockholm. You know, busy, there's people in there all the time, stuff's happening. Yeah. Yeah, Dave. I think it's just really great that, that places like that exist, you know, making making yeah. these uh, almost impossible to get uh, pieces of um, electronic uh, music instrument history available to uh, a larger group, you know, that's, uh, yeah. that's great. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, very good. Today. Yeah, just to go back to the Wired Lab there for a minute, didn't... Uh I'm not sure, was it just you or was it you with collaborators that uh, came up with a system for 
judged for measuring rainfall through yeah, sound. Yeah, that was yeah, that was a, a project I've started um, called Rainwire. Rainwire, yeah. That was it. Yeah, yeah. So I was doing some of that. I was doing a lot of processing of that at EMS when I saw you, and then I um, did a whole load of processing on uh, Apex's Fairlight um, with a lot of those samples as well. So I'm doing a, uh, an album of uh, or series of releases, which will be Rainwire processed. Because I did an installation up at um, University of Hull that same year that I met you. So I did a rainwater processed installation, which was lots of these um, processed versions of that um, project done on in all these different studios, like processing all the sounds differently and playing them out of um, like massive guitar and bass amps around this ensemble room. So it was like a, a multi-channel you know multi-speaker sensorial thing um but yeah so so that's you know very long pieces of fencing wire at high tension uh, up to anything up to like about 750 meters long going across the landscape with piezo pickups on them and then recording the rain and the sounds of the rain hitting the hitting the wire and the different the different types of rain produce different types of sound, and obviously the levels of intensity will change and things like that. So it's a it's a way of you know acoustically monitoring rainfall. He got um, shortlisted for a Rolex award for innovation. Actually, I didn't I didn't get the award. Sadly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's an honour just to be nominated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like throw the dart and see what happens. It's like oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of done with grants this year. I'm I'm, I'm over writing grants now. I've just had it, <laughs> so I'm I'm done. I've been turned down a few times, and I've been insulted by uh, research government government research people and stuff. And I'm, I'm just like, oh, oh, oh okay, I'll, I'll I'll just remain independent from now on. <laughs> make cool music and put it out on cool labels like Steve's. <laughs> yes, I'm right. <laughs> so, uh, did the, the uh, where, these 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 wires were in Australia. They yeah, were at, near your house, or was it like? A, yeah, no, I built them. All right. Yeah, we we did a. We started working originally with a guy called Alan Lamb back in uh, 2006. <laughs> So Alan like sort of developed these kind of long wire, a giant Aeolian harp type installations, and we did some collaborative builds with Alan, um, and then I started building my own ones, and then developed this project called Rainwire off the ones I was doing, which was looking more at recording rain, um, and you know examining rainfall patterns and using rain as a creative medium basically for producing sound cool. so how long how long did you have to wait for the rain to come when you built it because oh, you, you would have yeah. would have been better off to build it in scotland or something yeah well the thing is it's it's <laughs> it's one of those pro- it's it's a really kind of a long form type of project that you're doing right. over multi-years you know in your 
we're going out recording recording bits monitoring the weather and then going out maybe for a day doing a long form recording see what you get and then build up basically i've been building up an archive over the years probably since about 2007 maybe of, of 2008 of, of rain on wires that's cool so, so uh, is, 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 the, is the sound is it just the sound that gets recorded or or there are are there actually data recorded from the um, well that was where the project was going i was getting to the point where I was wanting to record data in real time at the same time as, as um, the rain. So I was looking at ways of, of measuring the acoustics. So I was looking at um, averaging energy and frequency bins uh, across the audio spectrum. Um, it's basically, you know, that idea that, that I derived the acoustic monitoring from was de derived from how you monitor water over sea you know um so was it two-thirds of the planet's covered by water but it's one of the most difficult um places to measure rain unless you're using radar which is obviously quite inaccurate um because it's a very coarse grain so you can't make very accurate rain recordings um, in the oceans unless you use a, a technique called acoustic rain for monitoring using um, underwater hydrophone so you sink a hydrophone about one or two kilometers underwater listen to the sound of the rain hitting the water the size of the raindrops and the intensity that the rain hits the water and trains an air bubble in the water which then goes back up to the surface and forms a pot so you've got the impact wow. sound and the pot. Other sizes can... will produce different um, frequency bands of, of noise, of, of pings and clicks. And Are there hydrophones that can, can, that can, that can actually um, uh, pick up the sound from kilometers away from the surface? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, that's, they have to, that's it. it. It's quite a remarkable thing. They, they discovered it in the Second World War, actually, through... Um, so sonar and hydrophones in in submarines and they they thought it was interference originally and they were he hearing all of these sounds and they couldn't work out what it was and eventually they worked out it was the sound of rain hitting the, the surface. surface of the ocean wow. above them <laughs> and then, and then that was kind of forgotten about until I think the late 70s, early 80s, and a handful of researchers in Greece and, and the USA started to pick up on this idea that you could monitor the sound of rainfall hitting the ocean or the sea surface uh, and then devised some algorithms that would, would quantify reasonably well um, the type and intensity of rain so you so over time you could use the sound of that rain to give you an indication of how much and how intense the rain was which is vitally important if you're if you're trying to monitor rainfall more than say taking a daily or a weekly or a monthly average you need to have um <laughs> So things like erosion, you know, uh, the, if, if you've got 100 millimetres of rain and it falls in the space of 10 seconds, it's going to be a world of difference to 10 millimetres to 100 millimetres of rain falling steadily over, say, 12 hours. But if you've only taken one measurement in that day, 
it still looks exactly the same, but the outcome is completely different because with one outcome, you'll have no topsoil left and everything will be washed away and you'll have loads of erosion and flooding. And in the other case, it, it would have come down so gently it would have all, you know, dispersed and gone away and not caused any damage at all. So it's, it's a way of involving sound and time in scientific research, which is, which is also now... Be, field recording itself is... is, is getting into that area, bioacoustic monitoring for um, ecological diversity. It's called bio, bio, bioacoustic monitoring. It allows you to estimate biodiversity over time in, a, in an environment without actually having to go in and manually catch species and do species can. You can estimate the amount of species based on the sounds that they make over time during the day. Mm -hmm. Different, different, different calls that are made, and how much of it there is. So, uh, our field of sound synthesis and sound and music is 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 it's such a huge, all-encompassing area that 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 we we we, tr we traverse all of these other areas of knowledge, don't we? You know, and, and it's 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 quite remarkable how. The process of us all making music is, is incredibly interconnected with, with all these other aspects of the real and complicated world that we live in. Yeah, it's, uh, in a way it's cool that um, when you would just listen to the start of our conversation, we were very much talking about um, gear and, and you know, uh, FM and stuff like that. But um, in a way it's full circle now with because uh, a lot of the things that are... Um, a lot of the processes and things that are part of music are actually happening in nature as well, you know. And mm. um, yeah. in that sense, the connection between nature and uh, cellular automata or automata, as you as you call it, and um, you know, uh, musical processes are they're very very close links or very um, obvious ties between between the two things, you know, between the two worlds. Yeah, there's there's lots yeah. of interconnections that um, I suppose in some sense you could you could even view them as as almost non-causal interconnections. It's kind of like operating on a different plane, if you like, almost. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like to think sometimes, as well as like that scientific causal kind of world. There's there's other aspects to to our existence that I don't think we're fully aware of all the time or fully knowledgeable about and don't think we ever will be <laughs> that's a great note to uh, <laughs> to say that it's already <laughs> longer than two hours i don't want to keep your uh, occupied for uh, for too long but i mean i'd love to continue this conversation but um yeah. maybe uh, we should give everybody a break and um I'll have some um, breakfast. Yeah, <laughs> unless unless you um, you want to uh, to bring something up, we did not talk about and wanted to mention. Maybe anyone? Um. <laughs> you know what? I'll I'll give you I'll give everybody the chance to uh, to kind of uh, do a little shout out to uh, or promo promo um, thing or uh, <laughs> like. <laughs> Like uh, how do you say it? Like a, a round of plugs, you know, the stuff we're oh, working yeah. on. We want, we want to um, any upcoming releases or whatever thing you things you're working on. And you want to share with the people that are uh, watching this. Maybe Dave, you go first. Oh, okay. Um, 
Diego, a few things coming up. We've got uh, All Being Well, December the 4th. I've got a CD coming out on Berlin label Rose, R-O-H-S. Um, uh, it's called CPM Subtree, follow-up CD to what I did on Soma Sci-Fi, Brian Grange's label. Um, uh, then I've got doing a lot of stuff with um, our wonderful friends over in Russia, Stellage. Yeah, the right way to pronounce it. We're just finalising a, a CD release for hopefully in January. Um, another Noise Lab release. Um, uh, I won't say the title of that one yet. Don't to say too far ahead. Yeah, I don't want to get too too far ahead with that. Um, but yeah, we've got a few other things lined up with the Stelligent uh, Entract Hossy so to speak. Um, and, yeah, lo lots more lined up with Brian Granger as well with Soma Sci-Fi. We've been on a bit of a hiatus this this year with COVID. It's been really affecting the US Postal. So we've put all my physical releases with Soma Sci-Fi on hold, and that's now um, unpaused. And we've got, we've got one lined up i'm just selecting the tracks for it at the moment it's going to be a series, another one of my nyz um series i won't give the game away and say what title is but it'll be another uh, series focusing around one specific um module synthesizer module that i and the chip that i'm particularly interested in so it can be a, you know, a bunch of stuff on that so Great. So, so what's the best place people can find your music? Your Bandcamp is that the place? Uh, yeah, on my Bandcamp, um, um, and also on my Twitter as well. Twitter feed is going to be the best place to get the news. I do a newsletter as well. You can sign up at noiselab.com, but that's kind of taken a bit of a hit this year. I've got to get a, um, a next version of my newsletter out. I was even considering putting it on a hiatus. I don't know yet. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. I don't know. Anyway, keep your eye on Twitter for all the all the latest, the, the, the first announcements for stuff are on there. And thanks for everybody for buying music <laughs> directly from artists. Yeah, I guess I guess this is the the independence uh, episode. You know, here's here's to independence. <laughs> 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 okay, cool. Thanks, Dave. Um, Vince, what Thank do you? you. What what do you have? What do you have cooking? I'm working on uh, something called Euphoria Forever, which is a, a, a never-ending composition uh, made by pure data modules and some other stuff that I'm not really uh, don't have working yet. Which I'm gonna need uh, Stephen's help with. <laughs> some ah, <point>. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but uh, uh, that, that, I'm planning to do to uh, to make this uh, never-ending, always uh, altering, uh, self-altering uh, composition, which is based on 50 drug culture tracks, uh, oh, which nice. will be like a, ra a radio station with uh, constant uh, drug culture, self-generated music. Wow, is, um, that, is that going? Uh, how how is that work? Is it based on granular synthesis or or recombination in some way, or is it based on samples? Or it's based or on uh, um, recalculating my de my my decisions, uh, making tracks for uh, five hundred tracks. 
and then uh, getting those numbers to correspond with uh, with yeah with a sample database and a, a sequencer and um, uh, melodic choices. So it's um, like a, a reconstruction machine, kind of. Like a it's like a it's it's, yeah. it's like a yeah it's like a, a, a module which emulates my choices. Nice. Because I would make for a drug culture track specifically. <laughs> I've been talking to, uh, to to some people. I'm I'm trying to get into sample RNN as as well, which is a, a program uh, which goes directly into the audio, which is a, a machine learning program. But I, I'm, I feel that for drug culture, it's better to work with these modules because that's something I can do myself, and I can uh, get get to get a, get a good help from people that, uh, that know what they're doing. Uh, so you know, it's all cool. So, so and what happens if you change your mind? Does it change its mind as well? It's 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 calculating uh, how many times I change my mind, and then it will <laughs> then it will uh, implement that in the in the never-ending composition. Awesome. Is that actually yeah. a thing that you you are incorporating in it? Yeah, Changing it is. Mind? Oh it wow! Is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, fantastic. There's a couple of uh, uh, of these weird things that I, I tend to do that are kind of self-destructive in inside of a track, which is also <laughs> which I'm calculating right now what the percentage of is, um, and um, that I'll have to uh, translate that to uh, to a module which can uh, send this information to uh, a drum machine or a synth. So, it's it's a, I'll have a long way to go, but uh, I'll this is something I I've planned to do in uh, 21 and finish uh, maybe in uh, early 22. It should be operational. So so you don't have ever have to make music again when once that's up. I'll make music, but uh, I won't <laughs> make music as drug culture. It, uh, drug culture will be the the, the always uh, evolving, uh, always playing uh, station, and I will do, uh, make music as a under a different name. Wow, wow. Oh. Another thing you ter you're terminating. You know, oh, well. Damn. 2020, the year of uh, big decisions. It's only a name. It's yeah, still, yeah, still yeah. Me. yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. You're still you. I'm still me. I really <laughs> am. I'm not the computerized version <laughs> yet. No, but uh, it's fun to work on and it's something that really interests me. Uh, and that's really, that's really something that I see happening more and more that... Um, Machine learning is is giving us some tools that we can work with. Uh, it's also destructive in some some ways, but I also think that it's good to get as many people uh, in this from the ground up, um, so that it it will also be a democratized democratized tool to work with for some people. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little bit tired. Am I? I'm slurring a little bit now. It's okay. All right, um, and the label is going to 250, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter, New York Haunted, or on uh, Facebook, Drug Culture or New York Haunted. And um, we have a bandcamp, newyorkhaunted.bandcamp.com, where all the releases are. So, yeah, good, and, good, uh, luck, send me good luck getting through that. <laughs> send me demos if you're watching and you make stuff that doesn't sound like anything on the label. It's newyorkhaunted at gmail.com. Awesome. Thanks, man. And um, Tune, what are you up to? Well, as, as, a, as a label runner, um, the next thing that we're doing is... Uh, I say we, but it's just me. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, next <laughs> thing, the next thing we're doing is a, a, CD, a CD by a, a Finnish artist called Luke Lund. 
and uh, it's been in the works for a while and I thank him very much for his patience but he's a really really cool guy and great artist after that we'll be doing something with a Spanish artist called Agnes P uh, who makes this really in, like intense uh, MIDI hyperspeed MIDI music which is really uh, unique sounding um, so I'm really excited about that uh, they're the, they're the two two next things in the works, I think, for Floof. And you can find Floof on uh, fluf.space. We got a fancy URL. That's uh, space, yeah. That's space. Uh, as an artist, um, I'm still, you know, working on my 10-minute long 150 BPM techno. I'm going to keep doing that for a while because I'm really enjoying it. And uh, some longer form stuff, uh, some, ac some acapella stuff. I'm working on some acapella stuff. Uh, there's no home for that yet, but I'm hoping it'll be. I think that's like a big, a big project. Um, and then, apart from that, uh, I mean, as a person, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm learning yoga. Uh, I'm just gonna stick with that. And but my artist website is Tune, which you can see down here. dot org, and then it's got links to everything there. So. Yeah, I think Sander is posting all the all the URLs. Um, there you Thank go. You. In the comments. Thanks, Sander. <laughs> cool. So um, I think I'll um, I'll just stick to the the Patreon for now. We we have set up a Patreon for people who like this project and this this uh, this chat. They can go there and uh, and support us. And if even if they want to go into the higher tiers, they can find stuff, uh, some goodies like sound banks and samples and footage from the lab, you know, stuff like that. So, and even some masterclasses, uh, private knob twiddlers hangouts, basically. So, um, yeah, I would encourage people to have a look there. And uh, also uh, we restarted the, we just started the second season, season of uh, the Stay Home Sound System series. The first one was a series of jams that took place here in the lab, basically just, um, you know, invite a person, get a setup together and, you know, maybe rehearse for two minutes, see if everything works and then press stream and start and do it something completely improvised um, live over the internet, which was which was very cool. And this season we, we've, we're doing it in a different way. We're syncing up over the internet. So the pool of people that I can potentially invite is lo a lot bigger, uh, people who that cannot reach the studio, but who could be anywhere in the world. And uh, so I start, have, have started the season with uh, Robin Kompshoor. The second one was with uh, Surgeon. And uh, we'll continue the series to have another, a total of 20 episodes. Um, and that's a lot of fun to be. Oh, actually, last Sunday was with uh, uh, Mo Espinoza, drum cell from uh, LA. So that, would, that was a, a nice one too. Um, yeah, it all seemed seemed to work perfectly. It's re it's really fun not seeing the person you're jamming with, <laughs> but um, but the music is uh, it's, it takes over after two minutes. You get used to it, and everything is basically the same as when you would be in the same room. So it's a, it's a fun way of um, of working together. Anyway, so I really enjoyed this one, people. Really nice to hang out with you. Uh, Likewise. It's great to yeah, see you again after fun. all these years, Dave. And uh, nice yeah. to see you for the first time, both Vince and um, and Toom. And um, yeah, hope you had a good time. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for hanging out. Me too. It was great. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay, I'll see you later. Bye. Yeah, have a good one. Bye. Have a good day. Enjoy your breakfast, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Ciao. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.